we're going to make a start tonight. We're going to sing some old-fashioned gospel hymns while the folk are gathering in. And it's good to see so many coming in, as Dr. Paisley used to say, coming in like brown cows. <laughs> and uh, they're always, the tail's always behind. But it's good to see so many young people. And uh, we trust the Lord will bless this special evening tonight as we think about the, the 50 years of the Youth Council. But turn, please, in your hymn book to 474, great old gospel hymn. Days are filled with sorrow and care. Hearts are lonely and drear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. So, 474, and let's hear you sing. Days are filled with sorrow. Place to 439. 439. I have a shepherd, one I love so well. How he has blessed me, tongue can never tell. Again, he better cease and singing as on to the Lord. I have
was good singing, but I just want to mention that there is a red Audi blocking someone's driveway, and I think the people are very angry. So, what is the number, please, Mr. Foster? P. PXI. PXI. Uh, double three, double three. Double three, double three. So, if, <laughs> if that's your car, maybe you should go and move it in case someone moves it for you. And that would be <laughs> a, a terrible thing. So, do that, please. And uh, good, this folk are still coming in. And that's really, really good. And uh, we're so thankful to see each one here tonight. And we bid you welcome in our Saviour's wonderful and precious name and all the folks who have come in from all around the province and again to those who are watching online, we bid you welcome in our Saviour's precious name. Now we're going to open our meeting, we're going to join together and sing the hymn number five in the hymn book. The hymn number five, praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Sing, O earth, his wonderful love proclaim. Hail him, hail him, highest archangels in glory, strength and honor give to his holy name. The hymn number five, and we'll stand together while we sing, please. Stand to sing, let's hear really sing it.
to join together, throne of heavenly grace and prayer. We're going to ask our brother, the Reverend Ian Harris, minister of our Anna Free Presbyterian Church, former president of the Youth Council, if Ian would come and lead us to the throne of grace and prayer, please. Well, let's all please unite our hearts together in prayer. We'll just take a few moments to still our hearts as we seek the Lord together. Let's all pray, please. Eternal God and loving Father in heaven, we draw nigh into thy holy presence this evening hour in the name of thy Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee for him who was bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. We thank thee that as a young man he learned obedience in the house of his father. We think of those silent years of mystery in the carpenter's workshop at Nazareth. We thank thee for the example that he leaves to us when we see him in the temple asking questions of the doctors and the learned men. We praise thee, our God, for his example of youth, and we thank thee for his work and intercession for the youth today of our church in heaven. We thank that he's the great shepherd that we've been singing about in our opening praise. And we come to thank thee for the saviour of sinners and the saviour of young people. And we bless thee, Lord, for his interest and his empathy with all of those youthful years. And as we draw nigh to thee this evening, we want to lift our hearts in praise and thanksgiving through his name for these past 50 years of witness of the youth council of our Free Presbyterian Church. We thank thee for all who have served in the offices of the Youth Council down through the years. We thank thee for those founding fathers. We thank thee some of them have crossed over into Emmanuel's land, but we rejoice this evening that their works do follow them. We thank thee for those who have served not only in the role of president, but we thank thee for the many, many young people who have served on that Youth Council committee who have given of their time voluntarily, who have given of their talents, and who have given their, their sweat and toil into the gathering together of young people for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee even for so many who attend the delegates' meetings, who bring, Lord, the, the, the young people together from all of our congregations. And we bless thee, Lord, for every facet and every aspect of the Youth Council down through the years. We thank thee for using it for the advancement of the kingdom of God amongst youth at home and abroad. We thank thee especially for young people who were converted through its witness, who today are in the Lord's work and in the Lord's service. We thank thee for young people who have been encouraged and led on with God. We thank thee for so many who have come through the Youth Council ranks who are now on the home ministry and on the mission field. And we give thee thanks from the depths of our heart for all that God hath done and wrought through the work and witness of the Youth Council. And we thank thee tonight for this 
special gathering to mark these 50 years and to lift our Ebenezer up unto the Lord and to say, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And we know that he who has helped us in the past will help again tonight. And we cry to thee for the drawing near of the Holy Spirit to hearts and lives. We pray that as the word of God is opened and as the book of God is expounded, that thou will bless that ministry to the hearts and lives of all who are gathered in. We cry to thee that thou the Spirit of God will come down in our midst. Bless all who'll take part in the meeting. We pray for those who'll sing, for those who'll give the reports, for those who'll bring contributions. And especially we ask for thy servant as he would preach the word of God this evening, that thou wilt lay liberally to his hand. And as we thank thee for all that has gone by, that thou wilt give to us fresh encouragement for all that is yet ahead. We pray that through this great gathering of youth tonight that there might be advancement made further for the kingdom of Christ amongst the youth of our denomination and the youth of our land. We thank thee for all within our own uh, congregations, but we think of the youth of our nation. And we cry to thee, Lord, for them. We ask for the mighty movings of the Spirit of God in hearts Young, in the hearts of young people right across this nation of ours. And we pray that, that we might live to see the day when there might even be that breaking out of revival amongst them. Hear our prayer we ask of thee this evening. Shut us in with thyself. Grant us the protection of the blood of the Lamb. Grant us, we pray of thee, the strivings and the movings of the Spirit of God. And grant, we ask, that through our gathering, that glory, honour and praise will be brought to thy name. For we ask this believing through the advocacy and the mediation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Reverend Harris, very much for leading us in prayer. And there's still folk gathering in, and we thank God for that. And we're so thankful to see each and every one Again, we bid you welcome in our Saviour's name to this special meeting as we think about the work and the witness of the Youth Council over these past 50 years. And maybe someone's thinking to themselves, this is a youth meeting and it's for the Youth Council, but those folk in the pulpit just aren't, especially the fellow that's leading it, he's not so young. <laughs> uh, but then, uh, these men are very illustrious men. They've got great titles after their name. They've got the Reverend David Brown, P.P., and the Reverend Ian Harris, P.P., Fred Greenfield, P.P. Now, where I come from, that meant parish priest, but uh, they're not the priest. means past president, and they've served a term. I had the privilege of being the president of the Youth Council way back in 1979 and 1980. That's a long, long time ago. And, uh, but we thank God for God's goodness and God's faithfulness and the work of God amongst our young people and through the Youth Council down through the years. You know, there's two old fellows were preaching at a gospel mission and uh, it was with the Plymouth Brethren. And on the night that these two boys were preaching, they both preached about Noah and the ark. And uh, they, they really led it on and they preached about Noah and the ark. And a wee boy came up to them afterwards and he says to them, were you in the ark, mister? 
Oh, he says, no, I wasn't on the ark. Well, he says, how come you didn't get drowned? And the, the wee boy thought, uh, well, maybe just a week or two ago, but there you are. But it's lovely to be here tonight and have uh, the opportunity to take part in this service. And just now I'm going to call upon our brother, Reverend David Brown, minister of our Lauren congregation, to give us a, a, a report and an overview of the work and the witness of the Youth Council. Brother David. Daniel chapter 11 and the verse 32. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And tonight we celebrate 50 years of the Lord drawing people to himself through the ministry of the Youth Council. And furthermore, the Youth Council being used of God to send young people and equip young people to do exploits for the Lord. We rejoice in all that the Lord has done these 50 years. The very first meeting of the Youth Council, uh, we know, was the 19th of February, 1974. And I'm sure those who were at that meeting had no idea what would lie ahead for the next 50 years and all that the Lord would do. The Youth Council was formed to solve a problem. There was a problem in our denomination. It was a good problem. There were young people forming themselves in the youth fellowships all over the place. But there were more like independent groups of young people. And it was difficult to form them into a larger group to go and fellowship together or serve together. Attempts were made and they failed. And therefore, just a few, a couple of miles up the road, 10 minutes from here in Sandown Free Church, that problem was solved when they formed the Youth Council of our denomination. Tonight, I think, is another demonstration that the Youth Council has worked because again, there's taking a wild guess, 40, 45 different youth fellowships. You all know each other, and you're here together. It's working, and we're glad to see that. May the Lord continue to bless it. Let me read just an article uh, that was written about that first meeting. Almost 50 delegates representing most of our young people's fellowships gathered to discuss the shape and function of a central body to coordinate the young people's work of the church. After much discussion, it was decided to form a youth council made of two delegates from each fellowship. Then a steering committee was also elected to carry on the business in between the delegates' meetings. That's the same as today. You have your delegates, two from each congregation, and then you have the steering committee made up of 10 representatives of the 10 areas. There was also a press secretary um, appointed in each youth fellowship, and that press secretary would go to the um, official magazine of the denomination and forward information that was relevant uh, for the rest of the denomination to hear about. Now, at that very first meeting, uh, the office bearers were elected, the president, Reverend Alan Cairns, secretary, Mr. George Wiley, treasurer, Mr. Robert Copeland's and then missionary secretary was Miss 
and McClure. Now, those early years, and I mean the very early years, were dominantly marked by protests. There were protests everywhere. Uh, wherever I could read on those early days, it was reports on another protest. And mainly, they were protests against the Jesus Christ superstar opera, I think it was. Let me read this to you. There's a couple of paragraphs. We have continued or protest, as the youth council speaking here, we have continued or protest against the blasphemous Jesus Christ superstar by writing to the Secretary of State and to the Arts Council. To the Secretary of State? That's the youth council using their muscle there now, getting their voice right at the top of the chain. Anyway, we are glad to report also that our fellowships, our youth fellowships, are opposing this blasphemy when it appears in their area. In Londonderry, anybody from Londonderry here would be glad to hear you right at the very beginning. Londonderry, there was a good protest denouncing the showing of Jesus Christ Superstar in a local cinema. We were delighted to hear that there were very few people interested enough to actually attend its premiere in the maiden city. In Bambridge, there was to be no easy passage for the film, for as soon as it became known that it was to be shown, our members there were determined to stage a picket protest, uh, so on and so forth. Reverend Alan Cairn said the Youth Council was born out of the midst of protest. The effort at that time was to raise a protest against the rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar. It's been interesting to see those a uh, few photos here and there of, of what was going on and the protests that were made. Can I also say um, some things that maybe have disappeared over the years? There was the uh, interfellowship quiz. That was something that happened over the years where uh, three or four books would be given to the youth fellowships of our denomination. The youth fellowships would study that in their meetings. Uh, they would look at it at home, and some of the youth fellowships would then form a team. That team would go and compete with other teams uh, on a knockout basis until somebody was the winner. And I'm told that Ballymoney Youth Fellowship was uh, difficult to beat and a regular winner. I'm also told that there are a lot of husbands and wives uh, come out of those quizzes as well. I don't know if George Anderson's here or not, but I know he was one of them. I believe the Reverend Greer, there he is. Isn't that true? You got your way? There you go. Very successful. Uh, I believe the Reverend Greer was the same and other individuals as well. We come into the late 70s, early 80s, Reverend Fred Greenfield's time. I don't know if the open air started in your time or not, but certainly they were mentioned as happening. The open airs in Newcastle, in Portrush, in Ross Nyla. There were some other ones mentioned as well, Banbridge, Bangor, and quotes here, the famous clock along the promenade was the venue for the, pro for the uh, open air. And of course, some of those still continue on today, uh, particularly one in Port Rush there, uh, which is going well. The Youth Council has always been very active in raising money for various projects, and it was a delight for me just to read over some of the things that have been done uh, in recent years. So, Bibles for Russia. I never even heard of that. That was one of the early projects. Money was raised. The Bibles were purchased 
and you get the postage price and all of how much it would be to send a, a full Bible. I think a full Bible to Russia was 95p postage. I think a New Testament in Psalms was 65p. You wouldn't send much to Russia for 65p now, I can tell you. There was also the million penny scheme. The million penny scheme. That was raising money for the Whitfield College. There was a project to purchase open air equipment for Rutherglen Free Presbyterian Church in Scotland. Money raised for a printer for the college. Also money raised for a printer for Kenya for Margaret Russell to print her Sunday school and youth material. Money raised for LTBS radio. Funds for the Kenyan school. A project to buy projectors for LTBS to do deputation. Money was raised for missionaries money was raised for consider Christ outreach so on and so forth and again taking a wild stab at this but just looking at each of those and thinking about them I'm sure the and some of the treasurers would be better qualified to estimate this than I would but I'm sure the youth council over these 50 years has raised more than a hundred thousand pounds for some of those excellent causes that's a great accomplishment in the 90s here, uh, outreaches in the mainland were then commenced. And those outreaches continue this day. They've been very fruitful. Of course, one of our ministers was instrumentally uh, witnessed to on one of the youth council outreaches. He was saved and uh, now in the ministry. Uh, we rejoice in that. As a result of those outreaches to the mainland, that's when the training weekend, I understand, came into being because there had to be a period to train the young people before they went on outreach. Let's say it was an area that was uh, very much atheistic, or there was a very strong cult presence there. They would be equipped uh, before they would leave. There are also weeks of meetings that uh, I was uh, encouraged through of as well. Uh, youth fellowships, areas would organize a week of meetings. They would have different locations from Monday to Friday. And it would be geared for young people. And those seemed to go very well as well. There were youth workers' conferences and weekends away and camps. And the list really goes on. What the Youth Council has accomplished over the past 50 years, young people, has genuinely been remarkable. It's been a delight for me just to read through some of these things. I don't know if you're involved in Youth Council or not. In my opinion, certainly in the past, I don't say they flatter our brother, but in the past couple of years, uh, under our current president, Reverend Foster, has been some of the best years of the Youth Council. And no doubt the next man will take it on as well by the grace of God. The Youth Council is still busy organizing open airs, training events, camps, joint prayer meetings, monthly prayer meetings, sporting events, annual rallies, choirs, outreach to the mainland and further afield, Uganda, Kenya, Spain, Asia, projects to help the work of God. Maybe you're not part of the history. Maybe you haven't been involved in the Youth Council before now. But perhaps from tonight on you could be. You could be part of the future. And make sure the youth council continues through God to lead people to the Lord, that young people will be equipped to do exploits and to serve the Lord faithfully. Can I take just one minute to do one more thing? Just out of curiosity, can I ask everybody, 
who was on the committee, not delegates just yet, but everyone who was on the committee in the past 50 years, could you stand to your feet for me? I know not everybody's here, but if you are, there's Billy and George, lead the way there. Anybody else? There's some men who have served for past and present, of course. What about delegates? Have you been a delegate from your… I keep standing there, committee members. Have you been a delegate? Excellent. Some of these are the old hands. Some of them stepped down, some still present. But the rest of the young people, it's your duty to carry it on, take up the responsibility and serve the Lord. Thank you all. Lord bless you. Thank you, brother, very much for that report about the work of God on the Youth Council. certainly remember some of those great protests, one especially outside the Lyric Theatre here in Belfast, uh, when Dr. Kearns uh, preached uh, against the, the rock opera Jesus Christ Superstar. Thank the Lord for the open-air meetings. Remember one time in Newcastle we were having the open-air meeting, and one of the business owners uh, didn't like the message, didn't like the gospel, and he sent some, one of his employees out who came across the road to where we were and who had the audacity to pull the wires out of our speaker. And I thought to myself, if he only knew some of the fellows, some of the men who are standing about here, and only by the grace of God, uh, if he had done it before that, before they were saved, he might have been baptized in the Irish Sea. And as Willie Mullen used to say about the old apostates, Willie says, I would like to baptize them. I would put them in three times and bring them out twice. And uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, God was gracious, and our people were very gracious, and uh, we carried on with the meeting. And then we went over afterwards and made our complaint known very forcibly uh, to those who were involved. Thank you very much. Brother David, we're delighted tonight to have the Youth Council Choir with us tonight, and we're going to ask them to come and bring us their messages and song just now, please. The choir. Thank you. Just while the choir are coming, just while the choir are coming, could I ask, there's a Ford Transit, it's white, it's KV58. G-Y-W, could it be moved off the footpath, please? Thank you. A white Ford Transit.
we do thank the choir very much indeed for those lovely messages and song, bringing our hearts, and our minds, and our thoughts to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who abideth forever, and the one who is the way, and the truth, and the life. Thank you, Reverend Ryan McCree, uh, McKee and the choir for their ministry tonight. Now, we're delighted also to have our brother, Reverend Thomas Martin. Uh, Mr. Martin's going to come and tell us about uh, one of the events with the Youth Council at the camp. I've been asked to give a report on one of the camps that we had uh, a number of years ago where we had uh, a little reviving in our bondage. Ezra, in his days when he came back from captivity, he spoke about a little season of grace that was showed on to them and a little reviving in their bondage. And I've been asked just to stick to my notes tonight and not deviate and uh, be very careful of the time and uh, to get as much as I can in about that camp. But it was my privilege to serve as president of the Youth Council for a number of years. And I have to say, as I look back on that time, I have fond memories and blessed and precious memories of fellowship and of camps and of weekends and of prayer times, uh, those training weekends, those camps away to Scotland. And we went to the Royal School in Armagh and they had pictures and they had antiques, and I said to the young people, please do not draw any moustaches or beards upon those professors. And uh, thankfully, they didn't do that. They broke a few windows, but that was about all. And uh, they broke our hearts as well. But I do remember whenever I first became president of the Youth Council, we had our first delegates meeting. And I remember meeting with those delegates and uh, some of those members of the committee. And we had a little time around the Word of God, we also had a season of prayer. And I did say to those uh, men on the committee and others who were gathered that it would be a wonderful thing during the two years of president of the Youth Council that we could see a move of God and a move of the Spirit of God among our young people. And began to pray like that, thinking of the words of the psalmist, whenever he says, wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people might rejoice in thee. And I have to say to you that little did we know that very soon God was to wonderfully answer that prayer and to send his spirit among our young people. He came about whenever we were organizing a camp in Glasgow. In fact, it was just outside the city of Glasgow in a scout center, and uh, we had everything arranged. There were some 74 campers that were coming. It was my first camp there's no portfolio. It just says, get on with it. And I says, what do we do? And he says, well, you just seem to make it up as you go along. And then they told me about the young people who were coming and they were not, uh, their CV did not make for good reading. That's all I can say. Uh, and they were notorious young people. That's all I'm saying. Notorious. Now, if they only messed about with shaving foam and water, I could have tolerated that. But these young people had a reputation I was even told not to take their deposit for the camp, and they sent their mums and dads to my door to beg for their young people, basically, to come to that camp. Now, I have to tell you, young people, that camp did not go well on the first day. On the first day. It was a total disaster on the first day. I remember getting to the ferry, and two young people had missed the boat. So the rest of them had to go across, and I had to wait in Northern Ireland 
as everybody else sailed across the Irish Sea, you call it there, wasn't it? And across to Scotland, made their way up to Glasgow, and I had to wait for the next ferry. The two young people eventually arrived. They got us on board. Big problem. When we got to Stranraer, how do we get up to Glasgow? So the Reverend Darl Abernathy, I don't think he's in the night. Uh, maybe he is, but the Reverend Darl Abernathy, he was the minister in Stranraer, and I phoned him. I says, Darl, I'm in trouble. He hung up on me. No, he didn't. <laughs> I says, I'm in trouble. I says, I've got two young people. There's another 70-odd away up to Glasgow, and I've no transport when I get over to Stranraer. I says, would you be able to bring us up and take us up beyond Glasgow? And he says, I will, but there's only one problem. I says, what's that? He says, my car's not going too well. I says, what do you mean? He says, well, it's overheating, so I can't actually sit in congested traffic. And if I do, you have to switch it off and then switch it on again. And I don't think my car will actually make it to Glasgow. And he says, well, it's better than what we have at the minutes, which is our own bare feet. And so we got into the car, we got up, and the rain came down. It poured. And I mean that. That's the only thing kept that car actually cool, was the rain falling upon it. We hit the centre of Glasgow, and he says to me, we're in bother. I says, what do you mean, the car? He says, no. He says, Rangers are playing at home today. And he says, we have just hit here about quarter to five. He says, they'll be coming out of the match, and Ibrox Stadium will empty, and this whole area will be congested. And sure enough, we sat in traffic with the car off and the car on. He's still got a car like that, by the way. He never gave it up. He just gets it serviced every year. But we eventually got there. Fast forward, we arrived. And I want to tell you, young people, when I arrived, I was up before 5 a.m. in the morning. We didn't get up to Glasgow, the three of us, uh, with the Reverend Abernathy Four, until about 7 p.m. And when I came into that scout centre, I was met with a barrage of complaints. That was just the leaders. They came to me and they said, the place is filthy. Where's Reverend McKay? He, he was part of that. He said, the place was filthy. I think somebody says this mattress is terrible. And they turned it over and they just turned it back again. That's how bad it was. I think even the mice there had overalls on. That's a fact. <laughs> it was that bad. It was absolutely brutal. And uh, the soap even need washed. That's a fact. It was brutal. And then the young people, they didn't care. It was the leaders that were giving off. And I mean that. And then a young person come to me and a few others, and they says, we want to go home. And I says, there's no way, I can tell you, that I'm leaving Glasgow to go back to Stranraer, and especially in Darl Abernethy's car. I am not taking that chance. Now, you're here for the week, and you're staying here. Another young person came up to me, and he says, such and such spat on me. I says, he what? He says, he spat on me. So I had to go into the room, sort that one out, get the young fella back into the room again. Somebody else came, and they says, there's something missing from my suitcase. And then there was different other things missing from the room. And I says, well, do you mean someone has stolen it? He says, yes, it was definitely there. I says, are you sure? And so on. Would they sort that out? And by the way, to this day, we never got the item. It was a wee teddy bear. I wouldn't want to tell on him, but anyway. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. It was something he bought on the, on the actual uh, boat. And then I was told there are two young people, and they've got a large rope with them. I says, what on earth do they need a rope for? And then they, whenever we were talking to them, they said they were going to use it because the girls' dorm were on one side of the balcony and the fellas' dorms were on the other, and they were going to throw the rope across, get it tied. One of the girls was going to tie it, and they were going to try and scale from one end to the other. 
And then there was a window broken. And I says, who broke the French door window? And they says, nobody. It was broken when we came. Months later, a young fella confessed that he headbutted it. <laughs> Just to show that he was a hard man. Do you know, I can tell you, young people, there's different ways you can show you're a hard man without headbutting a French door window. Let me tell you something. The people on site actually said that they wouldn't mind if we all went home. And it was a total disaster. That was the first day, and I had a week to go, a total week. And then all of a sudden, the Lord came in that night. I mean, come in. There's a young person, he was up in the balcony. Now, he wasn't hanging from the rope, <laughs> although some boys would have hung that fella from the rope, I'm sure. And I saw him, and he was leaning over the balcony, and he was crying. I went up, and I thought, here we go. Somebody else has bullied him. He's been put out of the room. Maybe he's been spat upon. And maybe he was told to try and fix Darl Abernethy's car. I don't know why he was crying, but he was crying. And I went up beside him and asked me, what's wrong with you? And he didn't say anything. And he asked me, has somebody put you out of the room? No, 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 they haven't. I says, well, is somebody bullying you? Have they said something about you? And he says, no, no, no. And here's what he says. He says, I'm not right with God, you know. The young people, because I had such a bad day, I says, he's mocking me. <laughs> he's now mocking the very minister, pretending he's wanting to get saved or come back to the Lord. But that young fellow was really broken. And all of a sudden, I just felt a real peace come over me. And we had the joy of pointing that young fella back to the Lord Jesus Christ. That night, I think it was that night or the next day, two more young people in the meeting. They weren't even at the preaching stage. We could hear young people crying. And two young people were taken from the meeting by the leaders into the anteroom. And they were counseled and brought back to the Lord. They're two young men. And they got saved a few nights later. One of them testified, and during his testimony, a lot of young people came under conviction. And I've never witnessed revival in my life, but I did in Glasgow among 74 young people. All of a sudden, young people started to come to Christ. Others were being restored to the Lord, and all we were were spectators. We weren't in control of it. But I did use the opportunity to say to the leaders, I know you were complaining about the mattresses and the state of the place, but I want to tell you something. Have a look at this. This is what it's all about. It's not about having your home comforts. It's not about having all your luxuries. This is what it's about. Look at these young people. And God was working right to the early hours of the morning. I remember standing outside the uh, scout center. And I remember a young person standing in front of me and I was pointing him back to the Lord and there was a group of young people, literally a queue, waiting to speak to me. I called other leaders and they were busy. We actually could not deal with those young people. There were that many. Some went into a little forest area and they came back out again and the smile on their face said everything to me. They all made their way in to the main hall. The Reverend McKee was there, and uh, he was uh, leading them in praise. They started to sing. They started to worship the Lord. And then some young people, now it could have been one o'clock in the morning, they headed off into the campsite and that scout center. And such was their zeal to tell others that they had got right with the Lord and they'd been saved. They looked out for other people on that campsite. It didn't matter who they were. And they knocked doors and they got people up. And they began to witness to them and speak to them. If I was to say to you young people, 39 young people were dealt with out of the 74, 
I most likely would do an injustice to what the Lord did. I can't tell you. There were young people who came to the Lord after that camp. And there are young people present tonight. I saw you coming in. And you're in the work in the local church. And you're in the work in the larger church. And, and I witness revival among our young people. And God gave us a little reviving in our bondage. And God answered prayer. I saw the Spirit of God work among the young people of the free church. And I trust and I pray God will vindicate the work of the Youth Council and he will acknowledge this 50th year by sending a breath of revival and that young people will be stirred up and those who are backslidden, they will be restored to first love. Those that are unsaved will come in repentance and faith to Christ. Wilt thou not revive us again? He'll do it again. And I trust He'll do it with this generation. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend Martin, very much indeed for recalling that time of blessing and the outpouring of God's Spirit and the hand of the Lord upon that special camp. I used to be a Baptist pastor. He's now gone home to glory. And he used to say that heaven was a praise service with no announcements. But there's always a way an announcement has to be made and once again, we thank you for coming. Just want to thank the minister, uh, Dr. Ian Brown, and the session committee of the Martyrs Congregation here for having uh, and hosting us tonight at this special service. We thank God for the work here. I trust the Lord will continue to bless them as they minister uh, the Word of God week by week and seek to reach men and women for Christ. There is supper for everyone. We do want you to rush away, want you to stay, have something to eat, and a time of fellowship. Don't be head, head button any windows or anything, uh, or we'll have to put you out, but uh, do stay and have a time of fellowship with us. Now, we're going to sing the hymn 510, and while we sing this hymn, we're going to take up an offering uh, for the work of God for the Youth Council. And we trust that the Lord will bless as you give to him. The hymn 510, How I praise thee, precious Saviour, that thy love laid hold of me. Thou hast saved and cleansed and filled me, that I might thy channel be. That the Lord would make every one of our young people saved by God's grace, make them channels and channels of blessing even in these days. We keep our seats. Your offering for God's work will be received we sing 510.
going to call upon our brother, the Reverend Paul Foster, the President of the Youth Council, to come and bring to us God's message. Our brother Paul. Thank you. If you could turn with me, please, in the living word of God to 1 Peter and the chapter 2. And while you're turning to the place, I just want to take this opportunity to personally welcome everyone to the meeting this evening. I'm greatly encouraged to see such a great number gathered out tonight. So thank you very much for all the effort that you've made to come. And the Lord be pleased to bless us as we will come just now to look at God's precious word. There are many things that could be announced tonight, um, but for brevity, let me just say that, of course, after the meeting tonight, there is supper that will be served in the Jubilee Complex. Please make your way up to that and enjoy the supper and a time of fellowship. On the way up, there'll be a table with a number of things on it, um, such as uh, little Youth Council cards. They have the Romans Road on them, and they come in packs of 100, and that costs £2.50. Feel free to take them. Uh, of course, pay for them, uh, but take them, and then use them yourself as a witness, as a means of an outreach. Also, we have our next delegates meeting coming up the 26th of this month, a Monday night. We're good to see such a great number of our congregations represented at it. The training weekend coming up the 1st to 3rd of March. Great numbers coming in for that already. We'll have our next informal Bible study the last Saturday of March. Look out for details online for it. We have our encouragement trip that's going over to the Isle of Man. It's already filled. We've been so blessed for the past couple of years with what God has been doing among our young people. The Trips to the mainland to do outreach has multiplied from just one trip to three trips now a year, and so often they're being filled out, and we thank the Lord for all of you young people and what you're doing. We also will be having outreaches to Limavady in the middle of August this year, and also over to Oton Broad, and again, look out for details for them online, and it'd be great to see so many uh, take up those opportunities to serve the Lord. There is the Castle Well weekend coming up, the 3rd to 6th of May. There's a summer camp from the 5th to 9th of August. We have over 100 young people ready in it, and there's still room for about another 20. So you get your name in quick and get your name down for that. More things could be mentioned. A man said to me a number of months ago, the free church does nothing for young people. Well, thankfully, by the grace of God, um, the Lord has raised up this youth council to do many things. And we thank the Lord for the committee and all the delegates and all the work that they do to arrange all these things. But First Peter and the chapter 2, I've been asked by the committee to preach this evening, and while you struggle perhaps all the time to get a message prepared, yet this message has been particularly difficult, um, but I'm looking for the Lord to undertake and to richly pour out his blessing this evening. But First Peter and the chapter 2, we'll commence reading in the opening verse. Peter says to believers, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious." Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood and to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth in him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, 
he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and the rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Amen. We'll end reading there at verse 10. Let us by briefly in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come afresh to Thee, thanking Thee for each one who has taken part in all that's been said, the blessing which Thou hast poured out even upon this organization over the past 50 years. We thank Thee for Thy blessing in the past and in the present. We pray, Father, that this evening and all the days and months and years that Thou dost spare, that Thy blessing would only ever multiply and increase. For the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone we ask all these things, praying now that Thou wouldst fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit, even be with my voice, give me strength in it. And Father, help me to preach the message which I believe Thou dost want me to preach tonight, that it come forth with clarity, that it come forth with power. And Father, build us up for the glory of Christ, we ask these things. Speaking to the saved, speaking to the lost, saving those that are lost, and sanctifying those that are saved. In Jesus' name we pray it all. Amen. There are many images that are used in Scripture to describe believers. The bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the flock of Christ. We who are believers tonight are described as Christ's ambassadors, Christ's branches, Christ's disciples, and Christ's friends, to name but a few. All of these images are very informative. However, tonight, the Lord has laid upon my heart to speak on to you about another image given to us in Scripture, and that is the image of stones. The Apostle Peter, after calling believers newborn babes in Christ in verse 2, in chapter 2 and the verse 5, Peter says to believers, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. I trust this image will be very helpful and beneficial to us this evening. It's never a good thing to say how many points you have. I've got three. The likelihood is because of time they'll get shorter as they go on. But simply, the first point I want to challenge you as well as myself. The second point, I want to comfort you. And by the third point, I want to focus you. So let's get stuck into it. This image of stones, a picture of the believer. The first thing I want you to notice tonight is the description of the stones. See, these stones are described as purposeful. Peter is writing to believing Jews that are scattered in this letter. And as they're scattered abroad throughout the empire, there are unbelieving Jews and they are saying, how can the gospel be better than what we have in the Old Testament? How can the gospel be the fulfillment of the Old Testament? Where in the gospel is the temple? Where in the gospel is the priesthood? Where in the gospel are the sacrifices? And so Peter, he writes to these believing Jews to, to help them, to comfort them, and to tell them that the church is the temple of the living God, that the church is the priesthood, and indeed, that the church themselves offer up their own lives as sacrifice, holy, pleasing, acceptable to God and Jesus Christ. 
See, unlike the Old Testament temple, the New Testament temple is everywhere. Unlike the Old Testament priesthood, the New Testament priesthood includes all male and female believers of all ages. Unlike the Old Testament sacrifices of animals, the New Testament sacrifice are believers offering up themselves wholly to God. And it's in this that we see the purpose of the stones. In chapter 2 and the verse 5, what Peter says, Ye, that is the church of the living God, as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. Referring here to the temple. Now, in the Old Testament, the temple was the most lavish building ever constructed. It was built in those precious materials of that time, such as gold and bronze and cedar wood. Its very floor was made of pure gold. Its walls had ornate and beautiful carvings in them of angels, of palm trees and of flowers. This one building took 150,000 men seven years to build. It was a true wonder, a beautiful, lavish, luxurious building. And yet, Peter says here that we who are believers in the New Testament, we are the temple of God. We're even more beautiful, even more wonderful. Not because of who we are, because of what God has done in us. And so likening us to the temple, we see the purpose of the stones. The stones are there to build up the temple. The purpose of the Old Testament temple was twofold. It was the one place on earth where God's presence was known. It's described in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 13, as the house where God dwelt and where God abided. The purpose of the Old Testament temple was where God's presence was known in the world. But also, secondly, the temple in the Old Testament was the one place on earth where God's glory and salvation was revealed. Everything about the temple pointed to God's glorious salvation, His glorious grace in saving men and women through Jesus Christ. It's one door, it's one altar, it's one lever, it's one candlestick, it's one table, it's one place of prayer, it's one mercy seat, it's one ark of covenant, it's one holy of holies. It all pointed to Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have through him. And so we in the New Testament, described here as God's temple, we as stones built up into this one house, so our purpose is twofold. The church of God is here described as those in whom God makes his presence known in this world. 2 Corinthians 6.16, we are where God dwells. In Ephesians 2.22, we are God's habitation. Do you see your purpose, believer, tonight? You are built up into this house that you will make God's presence known in this world but also that you will reveal God's glorious salvation through Jesus Christ in this world. If you look at me, please, at verse 9 of chapter 2. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises, the excellencies, the beauties, the virtues of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Dear child of God, tonight do you see your purpose. So often you and I, and I speak of myself here, we can be caught up with so many other aspects of life. We can be caught up with work and career and friendships and relationships and hobbies and sports and lots of different things. But the primary purpose why God has you and I here on this earth, the primary reason why God has saved us is that we, as God's temple, as God's church, would make his presence known in this world. And that we, as God's church, would reveal his glorious salvation in this world. 
the very reason you and I have breath in our lungs this day is so that we will make God's presence known in this world and reveal his glorious salvation in this world. I wonder, how are we fulfilling that? That's the primary purpose for why we are still here. Why we have not yet been taken to glory, dear believers. These stones are described as purposeful, but notice also these stones are described as united. In chapter 2 in the verse 5, Peter says, You also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. If I was to get a stone and set it there, one stone does not make a house. One preacher put it this way, you could have one stone, and no matter how polished, how shiny, how beautiful, or how well-shaped it is, it does not make a house. It is no good by itself. And so when God saves you, dear child of God, his desire is not that you work alone or that you be alone, but that you are joined with the local believers in the church, the visible church that God has set up and ordained. We all know the expression, no man is an island. When God saves us, he calls us to become part of his visible church for the benefit of his invisible church. Young people, God wants you to become part of his church, not just in salvation, but God wants you to be part of his church in membership. Did you know that God has set up and established one organization in this world through which he wants you to declare your allegiance to Jesus Christ? Just one organization. That organization is the church. And if you are saved tonight, sometimes you may wonder, what's God's will for my life? Well, I can say 100% the authority of God's word, God's will for your life is that you become, if you're not already, a member of a local Christ-exalting, gospel-centered church. When God saves a person, he places them in his building. He places them beside other local believers. He unites them together. God does not want you to be alone to go through the trials and temptations of life. He does not want you to be alone in the work and witness of the Lord. God wants you to work with other believers in your local church. Other believers who love Christ and exalt Him. This is God's plan for you. Notice with me another point. Following on from that, these stones are described as precious. One of there's someone here tonight and you feel worthless, you feel useless, you feel of no benefit and profit to anybody. Just today I got a text from somebody and they were asking me, is it wrong for a Christian to commit suicide? Let me tell you, if you feel worthless and useless, God describes the stones in his building as precious. Because describing those that are built up as this spiritual house in verse 5 and verse 9, he gives a number of titles, and in the middle of it, the titles are a peculiar people. The word peculiar does not mean odd, while often we can be. It means that which is a treasure in Exodus 19, verse 5, or as jewels in Zechariah 9, verse 16, or as they did God's inheritance in Psalm 127. You're a believer. You are precious to God's. You think about the image here of stones being brought together into a building. You know, stones are built and they're placed on top of other stones. And then stones are built and placed beside stones. And then stones are built and placed in an area and a position so that in time other stones will be put upon them and they support the ones above them. And so dear child of God, see tonight, whenever God saved you, he saved you for this purpose of bringing you into his church and into this building 
so that you would be a means of support to other believers. They hold you up, you hold them up. But also so that in time, others, through your witness, you making God's presence known in this world and you revealing God's glorious salvation in this world, that others then will be built on top of you. You are precious to God. You are precious to men. You're not worthless. You're not useless. You're precious to God. God wants you to be part of your local church that you can support those in it. You can strengthen them. You can pray for them. You can encourage them. God wants you to be involved in your local church's outreach and its evangelistic efforts so that in time, God will be using you to support others then that are put on top of you. God has a purpose for you. And you are precious to God and precious to men. You think about one other aspect that's used here to describe the stones, and that is that they're chosen. Another title that's used to the people of God in verse 9 regarding the spiritual house is that they're a chosen generation. You know, a stone is different from a brick. It does not say this house is made up of bricks. You know, a brick is like it was in the days of the turn of Israel in Egypt, you know, man-made objects, all uniform in shape. But a stone's different. Stones are different from bricks. Stones are uniquely shaped. And although stones can all come from the one quarry, they're all different from one another. And so what a builder did was whenever he was building a, a stone house, he would go into the quarry and he would look at stone after stone after stone. And it's true that in times the builder would pass over some stone but then he would choose other stones. He would carefully select them because he knew they would fit just right in the house that he was building. And so it is in the gospel the Lord has went into the quarry of lost humanity. And God has not impersonally taken out stone after stone out of the quarry. He has not just taken a mass selection of all the stones in this side or all the stones in that side. No, the Lord has individually, personally went through stone after stone. And there the Lord has passed over some, but the Lord has also then carefully selected and picked others. Every believer, I want you to understand this tonight, that you're chosen. You are handpicked by God. You're individually chosen by God. That's why the Apostle Paul was able to say, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. You have been carefully chosen and selected because God knows that you, dear believer, are just what's needed for that house in which he's placed you. Every stone has its own characteristics, its shape and its size to help support those beside it, to help prepare the way for those who built on top of it. And so, dear believer, you've been chosen. Not because you're good, but in grace, because you are the stone that God wants to be in that local church. Because there's something that you can do that nobody else can do. What does a stone need to be to be a benefit in the house? It needs to be present. It needs to be dependable. A stone that floats about is no good. A stone that's committed, that's strong, 
able to support others, that's faithful, that's ready for others then to be placed on top of it. Let me ask you, if it comes to the local church, are you one that's present? Are you one that's dependable? Are you one that's strong? Are you one that's supporting others? Are you one that's, uh, by your evangelistic efforts, seeking to pair the way that others then will be added on top of you? Are you present week by week at your fellowship? If you're able to get to the prayer meeting, are you at the prayer meeting? God has something that you can do that no one else can do in your local work, in your local church. You're a stone carefully chosen to be placed beside others so that others then will be built on top of you. Something else about these stones is that they're described as lively. In 1 Peter 2 verse 5, we read ye also as lively stones. Many people commentating on this verse, they translate it as living. And I understand why. The stones are living, but the authorized version translators, I believe, got it right when they described it as lively. You see, you and I know people, and they're living, but they're not lively. Lively is the idea of enthusiasm. Lively is the idea of energy. And God saving us. He wants us, yes, in the spiritual house. Yes, the Lord wants us there supporting and encouraging and seeking to be witnesses that others we built on top of us. But he wants us to do it in a lively manner, in an enthusiastic, energetic manner. The life of God in our soul, changing us, giving our all to God. Let me ask you, are you lively? Are you a lively stone in your local work? One other thing, these stones are indestructible. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, we read, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, a lake precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Those that believe in Christ will not be confounded. Those that believe in Christ, those that are in this church, this spiritual house, they will not be cast down. Some of you will recollect a time whenever Jesus Christ, nearing the end of his ministry, is in Jerusalem, and the disciples, they turn around and say, Behold, and look at the temple. Behold, how great stones there are in this temple. Behold, how wonderful they are. Christ turned around and said, They're all going to be cast down. There's not going to be one stone left upon another. But not in this temple. Not in Christ's temple. We will never be confounded. We'll never be lost. We're indestructible. We've seen the description of these stones. They said the points are going to get shorter as they go along. I want that description to challenge you as it challenges me. Are we fulfilling the purpose for which God's made us? Are we supporting those beside us? Seek and prepare the way for others to be placed on top of us. But notice with me the second point, the union of these stones, and I want this to comfort you. You can turn around and say, preacher, this is fine for all those that are going on well with God. It's fine to describe them as precious, fine to say that they're useful in God's sight, that they're beneficial and they're profitable. Preacher, you've no idea how much I've failed the Lord. You've no any idea how many times I've sinned against God. There's no way I'm indestructible. There's no way I'm precious. There's no way I'm useful and purposeful to God. Well, let me comfort you. You see, in verses 2 to 6, you and I find that while, yes, we are described as lively stones, 
You and I are built upon one stone. And it's because of our connection, our union to that one stone that we are what we are. In verse 4, speaking to the believers as newborn babes in verse 2, who have tasted the Lord as gracious in verse 3, we read, to whom coming, that is to the Lord coming, as unto a living stone. He's the one who's been disallowed indeed of men, but he's the one that's chosen of God. And he's the one that's precious. And if you connect verses 4 and 5 together, you get like this, to whom coming, then verse 5, ye also. And because we've come to Christ, then what Christ is, and we also are. I think it'd be helpful just for a brief moment to explain to you what a chief cornerstone is, what the Lord's described in verse 6. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. The cornerstone was the first stone that was laid in a building. It was normally a very large stone, and it had two purposes. The first purpose was strength and stability. The, the, the stone that was laid in the corner, hence its name, cornerstone, it gave strength and stability so that every stone then that was added to that one stone, this being the large stone, the other stones then had strength and stability. The large stone not moving, the stones that are connected to it will then also not move. So the purpose of the cornerstone was for strength and stability, but also the purpose of the cornerstone being in a corner shape, it was also then for direction. Because it was, as it were, was the plumb line. It, it was perfect in its angles. And so that whenever other stones were added to it, they were added in alignment to that cornerstone. They didn't stick out to the left or to the right. No, they were in alignment to that cornerstone. Every stone in the entirety of the building had as its ultimate foundation that one cornerstone. And every stone in the entirety of the building was aligned to that one cornerstone. And because of what that cornerstone was, every other stone therefore became to be what it was. The Bible tells in the book of Isaiah that God has one elect, one elect person in the entire universe, and that elect person is Christ. But because us who are in Christ, we therefore are elect too. We read that Christ is the one who's precious, the only begotten of the Father, the one only one in whom the Father is well pleased. But because we are in Christ, we are precious too. And because Christ himself is the one who is indestructible, perfect, fulfilling every jot and tittle of the law of God, we then, united to Christ, are indestructible. We will never be cast down. We will never be confounded. We'll never be destroyed. We'll never lose our salvation because we're united, connected to that strong, stable, perfect cornerstone. Well, let this comfort you. You may feel the Lord. You may sin against the Lord. But dear child of God, you'll never lose yourself being precious in God's sight. You'll never lose the purpose that God has for you to use in his building. You'll never lose it because you're connected to the one cornerstone. May I just have a moment to speak to any here tonight who are unbelievers. Because you see, we're told in verse 7 that those who are saved, they have put their faith in the cornerstone. They've aligned themselves to the cornerstone, who he is and what he said. 
They're trusting in the cornerstone. But yet, while he is precious to the believer, he's not precious to the unbeliever. And the image is very simple. You have this building, and you have unbelievers, and they walk near the building, and they look at the cornerstone that's in the building, and they see the cornerstone is insignificant. They don't want to align themselves to the cornerstone. They don't want to put themselves and base themselves on the cornerstone. The cornerstone is something worth rejecting in their sight. And, and as a result, we find that they trip over the cornerstone. And just as if you were running and you tripped over a stone today, you would injure yourself. And the sad and horrific and tragic thing is, the Bible tells us that those who run and trip over Christ, rejecting Him, not seeing Him as precious, not seeing Him as one to whom they want to align and give their lives to and trust for their eternal salvation, they, these persons will trip over Christ. And these persons will not merely break a leg, they'll not merely break an arm. These persons will be broken. And even worse than that, that stone will rise up in judgment against them that day. And Christ said in Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, that stone will fall upon them someday. And that stone will grind them to powder. So I plead with any unbeliever here tonight, don't look at the stone of Christ. Don't look at the cornerstone. Don't see him as one who's worth rejecting. You will injure yourself eternally. Christ is precious. He's the only Savior of men. That brings me to the last point. The description of the stones, let that be a challenge to us all. The union of the stones, let that be a comfort to us all. But then, let's see just in conclusion, the communion of these stones. Let this be a focus to us all. You see, in verse 4, we read about the believers coming to the Lord. Oh, yes, the believer comes to Christ for cleansing. But the, it's in the continual tense. Those who come to Christ, they keep coming. Not for to be saved again and again and again, but they come to Christ for communion. And again, if you look at verses 4 and 5, and you connect them together, to whom coming, ye also as lively stones are built up. You get it? You come to Christ for cleansing. You keep coming for Christ for communion. And as a result, as you have communion with Christ, you're built up. You may ask the question, preacher, how can I be useful in my local church? How can I be used to strengthen the stones beside me? How can I be used to God? That's what God's will for me is. What a wonderful privilege that I'll be used that others then will place on top of me. But how can I be it? You keep coming to Christ. Yes, you come to Christ for salvation and cleansing, his blood washing away your sin. But you keep coming to Christ. You keep coming to him for communion. You think about who Christ is. In Ephesians chapter 2, just turn with me there briefly. In Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 19, Paul says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Some people think that there's two foundations there. There's the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and then there's the foundation of Christ. How can you have two foundations? You don't have two foundations. You've only got the one. You see, the apostles and the prophets only ever spoke of one foundation. They only ever spoke of Christ. You build your life on all that Christ is, as he's taught in the Word of God. 
He is the one foundation. Paul said of his ministry to the Corinthians, there is no other foundation that any man can lay but that which is Christ Jesus. And so if you want to be built up, you want to be useful in this spiritual house, this great temple, the greatest building in all the world. Oh yes, one day all the buildings of this world will be gone. This building will be burned up. But there's one building that will last, and that's the building of Christ and His temple. You want to be useful in it? You come to Christ and keep coming to Christ for communion. You think upon who He is. All He's revealing the Word of God. You think about His person. You think about how He is the chosen of God. He's the one that's chosen. He's the one who is the Savior of men. Nobody else. He's the one chosen. He's the one that I can truly depend upon because I'm not depending on a false person, but I'm on the one depending on the one that's chosen of God. He's the one who is the cornerstone. As I said, the cornerstone is at the corner. It unites two walls. And he's the one who unites all the believers, the Jews and the Gentiles. He unites all together at one point in himself. He unites us with all the Old Testament believers, with Moses and, and Daniel and Joseph. Unite us all together. He's the one who's precious to God, filled with honor before God. He's the one who's indestructible. And how as we put our trust in him, we're safe in him. We're in Christ. We're safe. You think upon Christ's person. You have communion with Christ. And that will build you up. That will fire your soul. That will fill your hearts. If you'll speak of him to the others, you become more like him. His presence will be known more in this world. His glorious salvation will reveal more in this world. That's how you're useful. You have communion with Christ again and again and again. Thinking upon his person. Thinking upon his passion. What he's done. Because in verse 7 we read that he was the one who was disallowed indeed of men. And that is actually a quote from Psalm 118. But Christ himself quoted Psalm 118 in Matthew chapter 21. Well, if you want well, very quickly, Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. I'm nearly finished. Verses 33 through to 40, Christ tells the parable of a vineyard owner. That vineyard owner is one who hires men to work in his vineyard. And when the owner requires the fruit from the vineyard, the hired men kill the servants that the owner sent. And then last of all, the, the owner says, well, I'm going to send my son. They will reverence my son. But they don't. They kill him. And verse 42, Christ says, The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. When was Christ rejected on this earth? There when he was crucified. There when he was hated. There was when he was betrayed. There was when he was arrested. There when he was beaten. There when he was scourged. There when he was nailed to the cross. There when he suffered the wrath of God in our place for our sin. We think upon Christ, all he went through in love for us to save us from a lost quarry of humanity, that we could be chosen from eternity past. We think upon Christ, who he is in his person, what he's done in his passion, but where Christ is in his position. Because Whenever you and I think of a stone, we think of that which is dead. We'll talk about something that's being stone dead. 
and Christ dying and paying the debt for our sins, he was dead. His physical body, stone dead. But Christ is the living stone in verse 4 because he rose from the dead and he ascended up to the Father in the power of an endless life. And because of Christ in glory, you and I too will be taken to glory. You and I will be raised up at the last day and given eternal life with him. You think about Christ. Have communion with Christ. And you'll be thrilled in your heart at who he is and what he's done and where he is and where you will be with him. And that will enable you, that will equip you to be the support to the stones beside you in your local church. Where God wants you to be. Where God wants you to work. And that through that, you say you can never do anything for God, but tell me, through that, you're a stone if you're a believer. And God will build other stones on top of you. Let me ask you, do you want to be used by God? Do you want to fulfill the will that God has for you? Then see yourself, yes, as a branch of Christ and the body of Christ and the bride of Christ, but see yourself as a stone, a living and lively stone built up into the spiritual house, placed, having been chosen carefully, just you, for that spot to support others and to be the means through which others will be placed on top of you that you will support them. Will you be a stone for Christ to make his presence known in this world and his glorious salvation revealed? That is your chief purpose and that is mine. Today and tomorrow and every day that this world will come to know Christ as Savior. May the Lord bless his word to all of our hearts. Let's just bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we pray for thy blessing upon thy word. Let it live in our hearts. Change my life through it. Change the lives of each one. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank the Lord's servant for bringing to us the message tonight. We're going to bring our meeting to a close. We're going to sing the first and the last verse of hymn 412. Hymn 412, I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice, as I told thy love to me, but I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. 412, we'll stand together as we sing the first and the last verse only, please.
us before we close our meeting in prayer and give thanks for the food that has been provided. Uh, they was a great minister of the gospel and missionary, and he used to sing this hymn. And he always thought about the last verse, there are depths of love that I cannot know till I cross the narrow sea, because the Bible says, uh, our eyes have not seen, our ears have not heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man, but God hath prepared for them that love him. And there is an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, reserved in heaven for those, for you who are kept by the power of God through faith. Then he used to say also, you know, there are depths of love that I yet may know ere I cross the narrow sea. God has more for us if we're willing to be, as we were singing earlier, a channel only, blessed master. And I know many people throughout our churches were praying for our dear sister, Miss Winnie Laverty, when he went home to be with Christ this afternoon. Many years ago, when he came as a young girl to know Christ as her Savior, she joined the Free Presbyterian Church and she served the Lord wholeheartedly in our denomination. She had a, a rich voice and lovely singing ministry for many years. She sang around our churches and around the meetings, the mission halls. She represented Dunmurray Church on the Missionary Council and later the Tyndale Church. And she was a faithful servant of Christ. But as the hymn writer says, the old landmarks are still standing. But the pilgrims have gone on. We know they're happy with the Lord in their brand new home. For them, the battle's over, the smoke is cleared and gone. The old landmarks are still standing, but the pilgrims have gone on. Many has gone home to be with Christ. But no matter how long we live upon this earth, it's a short journey from the cradle to the grave. And as C.T. Studd said, we've only one life, young people, and it will soon be past, and it's only what's done for Christ that will last. So may God help us to be as those lively stones fitly framed together, serving the Lord, working together, praying together, going forward together in his name. We might see great and mighty things accomplished for him and for his glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee again for thy presence with us tonight. We thank thee, Lord, for the 50 years of the Youth Council. We thank thee, Lord, for the things that have been accomplished in thy name and for thy glory. And our Father, we thank thee tonight for thy presence with us, for the reports that we have heard, for the ministry and song, for the ministry of thy word. And our Father, we pray tonight, even should there be some young person in our gathering and they're still outside of Christ, Lord, may they come tonight and close in with Christ and be saved for time and for eternity that they might be able to say, now I'm a believer, and Jesus Christ is precious to me. Lord, if there are those and they have wandered from the path astray, and tonight finds them in Bypath Meadow, Lord, may they be drawn back, draw them closer, closer unto thee, and may they walk with God from this day forth. Lord, bless us now. We thank thee, Lord, for the food that has been provided 
We pray, Lord, you'll bless it to our bodies, bless us in thy service, and help us to live for thee day by day. May we eat and drink to thy glory. And later, our Father, we pray that you will separate us with thy blessing and take us all to our homes in safety and abide with us. For we ask all these things in our Saviour's name and for God's eternal glory. Amen.